Well, we have been uh, tracing Moses' life in a summary sort of way uh, to capture the key concept of saying yes to Christ. Uh, We have said this is the main idea of what being a follower of Jesus is all about. That from day one we would say yes to him, and then in everything he calls us to do, whenever he calls us to do it, if it's something massive or or something tiny, uh, uh, something super sacrificial, or, or something really simple, that we would just over and over again keep saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you in this. I will do what you are calling me to do. Now, Moses has received, uh, in this passage that Bernard just read in Exodus 35, Moses has received instructions from God himself on how to prepare and how to build this tabernacle, this this tent that they'll carry with them uh, until they enter the promised land, this tent where God will meet them and direct them, this tent where they will uh, remember the forgiveness of God, the generosity of God. Uh, Moses has been uh, instructed on how to build it, how many cubits it should be, how tall the curtains should be, what they should be uh, woven with. And and he's standing here, uh, and he stands before the people, and he says, God has called us to do this. Would you contribute towards it? And look at what the people do. This is Exodus chapter 36, the passage just following what we read. Exodus 36, verse 2, And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave a command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is like exactly how every pastor wants a generosity initiative to end. This is like exactly how Moses wanted his building program to end. He stands before the people, right? And he says, the Lord has called us to build this tabernacle. And then uh, he's got these workers who are starting to do the building with the materials that are coming in. And, And the workers leave their task and they run over to Moses and they say, we have way too much stuff. The people keep bringing over and over all their stuff for the work of the Lord. We we need to tell them there is much more here than we need. I love it. They, they, They have to restrain them from bringing. What did that look like? No, I want to give it. No, you can't give it. No, I want to restrain them. They held them back from giving more. Praise God. Praise God. See, Moses probably didn't expect this moment was going to come. He'd he'd stood before the Lord and he said, how do I know you're going to rescue us? And the Lord promised him, he said, when I do it, you'll see I did it. 
And then Moses said before the Lord, but, but I, I am not uh, quick of speech. I'm not eloquent. I, I cannot uh, convince the Pharaoh to let us go. And the Lord says, I'll speak for you. And, he, and Moses says, but they won't believe me. And God says, I'll make them believe you. And, and then he brings them to this moment where they, his, the, the people of Israel have been drawn out. And now they'll be drawn in and be reshaped to become the people of God in the way that God wanted them to live. And Moses says, in order to do so, we have to follow his instructions to build this tabernacle to meet with the Lord. And their generosity overflows in the work. Much more than was needed. Had to restrain the people. <laughs> well, how do we get there? Uh, how will we get to this kind of place where we will be marked by the generosity of our generous God himself? We'll see that in the details of the story, how we get there. And then uh, we'll just ask, well, why? Why would we even want to jump in like this into something like this? Uh, why would we want to do this? And, and we'll see that answer in what is being built. So how? How do we get to this place of generosity? This overflow, this tidal wave of grace and generosity begins in chapter 35, verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord is commanding. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and so on and so on. And, and there are these repeated phrases throughout uh, this whole uh, passage and, and they are this, uh, what the Lord has commanded us to do and the Lord's contribution or a contribution to the Lord. These are the, uh, uh, the phrases that keep repeating through this passage. First, the Lord stands before his people to command them what to do with his stuff. He says, I'll tell you what to do with what you have <laughs> because it's all mine. Everything is from me, for me. The Lord commands them over and over what to do. And, and then the people say, okay, we'll gather together the Lord's contribution, a contribution to him. It's all his for him, and it's actually the Lord's possessive, his stuff. Everything is from him and for him because here's the context of the passage right up to Exodus 35. It started way back here when the Lord saw his people, Israel, enslaved. And early in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of Exodus, he, he sees them and he hears them and he says, I'm going to do something about their situation. The Lord decides to move in, in grace and generosity. So then he calls Moses out, the drawn out one, uh, and, and he says, you'll be the rescuer. You'll be the one I use to rescue my people. And, and Moses says, I don't think so. And God says, yes. And Moses says, I can't speak well. And he says, I'll speak through you. And he says, they won't believe me. He says, I'll teach them to believe you. And he says, this won't work. And actually, I just don't want to go. And God says, I'll go with you. And he takes him. And Moses stands before Pharaoh and he says, let the Lord's people go. And, and Pharaoh says, no. And then God says, I will work the impossible. And plague after plague after plague occurs. When, when the Pharaoh says no, God says, yes, I will set my people free. Boils and darkness and gnats and frogs and, and the Nile River turning into blood. And then the death of the firstborn son and the Lord in his might rescues his people out of slavery. Using a man who didn't want to go. 
And then on their way out, and they're leaving so quickly, right? Why are they leaving so quickly? Not because they're scared, because the Egyptians are saying, get out of here, go be free. They're pushing them out, right? The Israelites, 600,000 plus are walking out, and on their way out, they don't even have time to get uh, a yeast for their bread. So you have this flat bread, right? They're eating, and then in remembrance, we, we eat it in remembrance. And on their way out, not because they're fearful, but because God has so uh, massively and generously and powerfully rescued them, the Lord says this, chapter 32, verse 12 and following. Israelites, why don't you ask all the Egyptians for their gold, silver, and all their stuff? So the Israelites, on their way out, say, uh, we would also like all your stuff. And the text says they plundered the Egyptians. Uh, God moved in the Egyptians with fear and mercy and might in a way that they just said, here you go. And so the Israelites are walking out uh, with all this stuff, free now, uh, to this point where uh, God's going to open up the Red Sea and swallow the Egyptian army behind them. Now, uh, get this, nowhere in the process as they're leaving are they running through the Red Sea saying, man, we crushed that. I'm running so fast, you see how I got us free? You see all this stuff I got for you? Did you see what I did with the Nile? No one's saying that. They're all looking up to the Lord, the gracious, the generous, the merciful, the abundant provider, saying, He did this. He gave us everything. We are carrying out the plunder of the Egyptians because of our mighty God. Everything we have is from Him. That's what they're saying. And therefore, everything we have is for him by his grace. Two things stick out in that narrative, right? First, from day one, they are kicking and screaming in their disobedience and in their doubt. Moses, their leader, is kicking and screaming in his disobedience and his doubt. The people are saying, what have you done to us, Moses? You're making things worse for us. We just want to stay in Egypt. And, and even as God rescues them all the way up to the Red Sea, they keep moaning and groaning and grumbling and saying, God, you're terrible. What have you done? Moses, you're terrible. What have you done? Over and over again, undeserving, disobedient, ungrateful. And the Lord keeps dumping his mercy and his grace on them. Another thing that sticks out is the order. God rescues his people out and then he gives them the Ten Commandments, the things to do, the ways to live as his people. He doesn't say, earn it and then I'll rescue you. He says, I have rescued you. I have drawn you out to make you my people now. So live in response, obedience to my mercy and grace. I have poured on you. Moses, when he's looking back after the people of Israel have been rescued, they're standing at the doorstep of the promised land about to go in. Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. He's reminding the people of who their God is and what he has done and why he has done this. Verse 6 of chapter 7 in Deuteronomy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord loves you because the Lord loves you. Do you hear what he's saying there? It is not because you're mighty or you've earned it or you're great or you're doing such a good job or will do a good job. The Lord loves you because the Lord loves you. Before the creation of the world, uh, he chose you and I to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us according to the promise of his will that he would pour on us every spiritual blessing in Christ. He loves you because he loves you, not because you've kept all of his commandments or you've used all this stuff for his purposes. He says, I have poured this grace and mercy on you. I've given you all things. You should be an outsider, now you're an insider. You should be in darkness, now you are in light. You should perish in hell, but he has given us grace in heaven. Why? He loves you because he loves you. It's the immediate context of Exodus 35 that I think is the most compelling how behind what they're doing here, what we need to see. See, the immediate context of Exodus 35, well, is Exodus 34. And look at the title of that chapter. Moses makes new tablets, Exodus 34. Why does Moses make new tablets? Because in Exodus 32, chapter 19, Moses took the tablets and he threw them on the ground and shattered them. The tablets, the Ten Commandments, the, the gift of the law from the Lord that were written by the very finger of God. Moses takes these two tablets and he throws them on the ground and shatters them. Why does he do that? Because when he's up here on Mount Sinai, on Mount Horeb, the same mountain, he is hearing from the Lord directly. And God, God is giving him all the instructions for the tabernacle, all the instructions for the priests, all the instructions of the Ten Commandments, and, and all this covenant reminder that's going on. And Moses is like, man, you're amazing. Remember, uh, God has just rescued them out of Egypt and provided so abundantly and mercifully. And then Moses makes his way down the mountain, and he hears singing in the distance and chanting. He's like, I wonder what that is. I wonder if the people are singing to our God. No, they are worshiping a golden calf, an idol, that they have so quickly turned to because they are saying, where is our God? Where is Moses? We don't want any part of him. Who is he anyway? Did he save us? They're giving their lives to idolatry and false gods. So quickly and so grievously, and so repetitiously. Look what the Lord says to them in this moment. Chapter 32, verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone, the Lord says to Moses, that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. Moses is begging, Moses is mediating that the Lord would not destroy them and crush them for their sin. Because the wages of sin is death. It always has been and always will be. It's an offense to holy God uh, and a gracious Father who has so mercifully uh, provided a way for restoration and salvation and life in His Son. It's an offense to Him and the wages of sin is death. But the Lord relents, and instead he, he reminds him, 
of his covenant love as Moses reminds the Lord of his covenant love. And he says, I'll, I'll, I'll show my mercy and grace to this people. This generation won't enter the promised land, but I will not crush them in my wrath. And he relents because of the mediator. See, they are compelled to give because they have been given so much grace. So much grace. It is all from him. It is all for him because of so much grace. I love this passage uh, in later in Israel's history in First Chronicles chapter 29. David is building this, the temple. He's taking the tabernacle that Moses has made, and now he's turning that, in a sense, into the temple. And David is gathering all these uh, uh, materials, just like Moses was doing, and, and the people are giving abundantly as they did in Moses' time. Verse 9 of chapter 29 in 1 Chronicles says it this way, Then the people rejoiced because they'd given willingly and with a whole heart, and they offered freely to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced. Why? David blessed the Lord in, in the presence of the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, right? God of all Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours, is and yours is the kingdom. It is all yours. Everything is yours. Verse 14, who am I and who are my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and are of your own. We have given you, O oh Lord, our God. Verse 16, all this abundance that we have provided for building your house for your holy name comes from your hand is all your own. We have no right to give what we have been graciously given. We have no, uh, nothing of our own from our salvation to everything we own. It's all yours. Why? Because your son who is rich stepped down from heaven and became poor. And in his poverty, he made us poor ones rich in the grace of God. We were not faithful. We were called to be faithful. He gave us his faithfulness. We were not holy. He gave us his holiness. And we look back at the Lord and we say, Oh my God, you have given everything. This job I have, this college degree I have, this bank account I have, it is all yours. I ought to perish in hell, yet you've made me a son. I ought to perish in hell, yet you've made me a daughter. Everything I have is yours. Even this past year when I uh, was, was mourning and isolated and, and I wanted to reach out to someone, but no one was there, you were there, Lord, to talk to. When you felt like the foundations of your world were, were shaking, He was there holding you steady. When your marriage was falling apart, He was there to walk with you. He has given us everything, and therefore He's got our hearts, doesn't He? If we understand the very grace and the mercy of God, doesn't He have our hearts? Matthew 6 says it this way of our hearts. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
It's not hard to see where our hearts are. And, and in First uh, Chronicles 29 and in Exodus 35, the people say, You have our heart, Lord, because you are so merciful. You are a mighty provider. It's all yours. Take it. This treasure is not my treasure. You're my treasure. And I'll put my treasure in heaven for eternal things, for eternal purposes, because when I see who you are and what you have done, I am compelled to generosity. That's why I love the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, he's this chief tax collector. He's hated by all people because he's stealing from his own people. Uh, no one's his friend. He runs ahead of, of Jesus in this crowd, and he climbs up this tree. He's in Jericho, and, and the crowd walks by with Jesus, and Jesus looks right up with him. He's like, I want to eat with you. I want to be with you. And Zacchaeus is like, no one wants to be with me. I'm an outsider, not an insider. Uh, my purpose is to steal and gain for self, and, and I'm, I'm cast out. The crowd looks at him and says, well, Jesus, why would you hang with this sinner? And Zacchaeus so is embraced by the grace and the mercy of his Savior, Jesus, that then he says, you can have it all. And he gives back just multiples of everything he's stolen from people. He says, I have a gracious, merciful provider and Savior who's drawn me in, made me his own. It changes even my pocketbook because he's got my heart. It's what compelled Moses, right? Moses, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, he says, I would way rather give up the riches of Egypt and live for this Savior, Jesus Christ, the one to come, and even be scorned for him than to hoard all these riches and have them buried with me in my tomb like King Tut, where, where a, a chariot is buried with him and covered in gold and collects dust and rot. I would way rather live for the one who gave me all things and who offers salvation and eternal life to others, I will give it all for him. He's got our heart. One of the most generous families I know, and this is how we live if we realize the generosity of our God. They said to us years ago, we're, we're the Well Community Church, uh, but I was officing at Panera and Starbucks for the first multiple years of the church. And, and they come up to me after a sermon this one Sunday, and they say, look, we heard your officing at Panera and Starbucks, and there's some awkward counseling conversations there. I'm like, that's right. And they said, we want to give you a house that you and others can office in. We'll, we'll let the well use it. And you guys can just office there. You don't have to pay us anything. <laughs> now, over the years, we decided, okay, we should probably pay you something, right? So uh, some members of the church live there, and we, we've, we've tried to uh, use it for the work of the Lord. And then the kinds of things that have overflown because of the grace of that one family and their generosity have been amazing. The, the, the kinds of marriages that have been restored in that house, the, the, the suicides that have been prevented, the people who have come to Christ right at that dining room table. It's like, praise God because of His generosity that poured through their generosity. Just last week, listen to this story, just last week, uh, this family goes, hey, we, uh, we have this house, we're going to be moving away for three years. They're going overseas with the State Department, and they said, hey, look, here's what we want to do. We heard there's this new uh, gal and her family that came on staff for children's ministry. We would like her to live there, and we want to donate the rent for three years to the well. What? You know what they said? We've never seen this house as our own. We've always seen it for the Lord. 
Because our stuff is not our stuff. It's his stuff. It is all from him and it is all for him by his grace. He has rescued us from death, given us eternal life, and on top of it, he has piled all things for his eternal purposes. And you, church, you've gotten more generous through COVID. Less of you are coming to worship. More of you are living as the church in generosity and on mission together. Praise God. We've had some of our biggest giving months through this year. It's unbelievable. Because you realize it's all from him, for him, by his grace. The first thing we need to do to become a kind of people that are this generous is look at our Lord. The, th- the second you know, uh, uh, thing we need to do is to begin to look at our stuff. Because the biggest barrier to the how of this generosity was this barrier of thinking, I don't have enough to give. I don't have quite enough to give. And look at, uh, this is Exodus 35, as we continue in our passage, verse 5. This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the ointment, so on and so on and so on. You who've got gold, give it. If it's a little signet ring or earrings or a whole pile, give it. Gold and silver and onyx and all this stuff. Hey, but if you've got some goat's hair or yarn or some spices, give it. It's of varying kind and varying uh, degrees of worth and and value. Uh, and, And God says, what you have got, would you give? Because you've seen who our God is and how generous he is. Now would we see the stuff we have, see it as his, and give it away. The men and the women get in on this. You can imagine the kids and the college students and the retirees all got in on this. The, the rich and the poor got in on this. And, and somebody said, you can have my spices. And somebody said, you can have this lump of gold. And somebody said, you can have this onyx. And, and somebody over here said, you can have this piece of yarn. And they all gave in droves. Because everything they've been given, everything they got, they said, I can give. I, I was sharing some of this kind of our, our call to generosity in the church but prior to even just uh, beginning our series of Say Yes. And, and this member of the church was just hearing about it, and he was like, man, I wish I could give. I said, well, why can't you give? And he, and he said, I don't have any cash on hand. All I've got is like, I got stocks, I got stuff. And I, and I said, well, you can give stocks. He's like, I can? I can give stocks to the church? I'm like, yeah, totally. He's like, I'm giving stocks. So, so he calls us our accountant. She says, yeah, you can give stocks. And boom, he drops this bomb of grace, right? Like, I'll give, I got yarns, oh, yarn over here. I got stocks over here, right? Gold, this or that. Uh, we'll give it all. Look, uh, I got this email. Our church is getting in on this, right? We're all preparing for next Sunday of committing to what we will give up front and over the next year. But I'm also asking some other folks who have been a part of the work of the well to get involved. And some of them live in Texas. Don't hold it against them. And one of the Texans writes me this. Hey, we really do not have any cash or anything right now. It's been a hard, hard year. He goes, but I got this really expensive gun. (laughs) I love it. He goes, can I sell it and give the proceeds to the church? I said, totally, sell it and give the proceeds, right? Whatever you've got, you give, right? Because we've seen how generous our God is. We've seen the stuff he's given us, and every one of us has something to give. This is why I love the story in Mark 12. 
Mark 12, chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus is at the temple. It's the last week of his life. He's going to give it all for us. And he sat down opposite the treasury. I kind of picture him sitting there, arms crossed, watching the people putting their money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, come on over here, you've got to see this, and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had. She's put in everything she had, extra detail, all she had to live on. All she had to live on. This barrier of thinking we cannot give because we don't have a lot to give is a fallacy. And, and let's also not miss the meaning of the text here that, oh, see, it doesn't matter if you give a lot or give a little. No, this is percentage giving, and she gives a hundred percent. That's why it's been so amazing. Look, this one guy writes a check for $30,000 a few weekends ago, another for $50,000, a couple for $10,000, one person for $1,200, and two weekends ago. A man who's been worshiping with us repetitiously, who doesn't have a home right now, gave this dime. And you've got to believe that Jesus was back there looking at this man saying, he gave it all. Praise God. Praise God. See, see, we don't think we have enough because we think we've got to save a bit more to be secure. If I could just save a bit more, I'd be secure. Or, or we think, if you're a spender, if I could just spend a bit more, I'd be satisfied. That's why we don't think we have enough to give. Uh, but see, a, a saver is never secure. They, they've never saved enough for security. And, and a spender is never satisfied, never has quite enough to be satisfied. But a giver is both secure and satisfied because he or she knows he is my provider who has given me everything I need, who has provided for all of eternity. I should perish in hell, but he's given me heaven, who's walked with me from day one in my life through this job or that joblessness or that friend to provide everything I've ever needed. And when we give, we realize he is our security. He is our satisfaction. He is our joy. He is the reason I give and you give. So every one of us ought to make this kind of decision. Uh, this church in Corinth, Paul is laying before them, uh, uh, make this kind of decision. Every one of you decide what you are going to give in your mind and in your heart. And make that decision in generosity and then give it. And, and this is uh, on the backdrop of the churches of Macedonia giving to this Corinthian church. And, and they gave out of their poverty to them. The point is this, Paul says in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God then is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He says, you decide what to give. You give it generously and you celebrate over being a part of the work of the gospel, saying, I could be a part of that. And then watch him provide. Watch him provide your own needs and watch him provide through the church for everything he's called us to. Watch him provide for every good work. Who do you think is going to reach Silver Spring if it's not you and me and the church and the surrounding areas? Who? who? Just think of one neighbor right now, just one neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. You got them in your mind? Who, who's going to share the gospel with them? Who's going to invite them to their church? Uh, who's going to care for them or walk alongside them and then show them where life and, and eternal life and, and purpose and peace is in Christ? Who's going to? Has not God sovereignly placed you? Has not God sovereignly placed us in this time for this purpose? And has he not then provided everything he's called us into, both as a church and in your own life, that over and over again we could keep saying yes to him and watching him provide and work through us for his eternal purposes? Wouldn't it be amazing if when that, that guy or that gal, that neighbor, that coworker, that friend, when, when they started to have financial problems, you could say, hey, why don't you come with me? We're doing this financial peace class on Wednesday night at our church. And you can bring them there. Or, or when someone's marriage falls apart, you can say, hey, we've got this class going on. It's really amazing. We're doing it on, on Monday nights. And, and we're doing this thing where we can kind of walk through rough times in our marriage. I think you'd love it. And wouldn't it be amazing if like our, our high schoolers and our middle schoolers, they had a, the place to go when things got rough where they could just come to this, this really comfortable and fun, uh, uh, cool room uh, on a Sunday and on a Wednesday and just cannot wait to get there. How do we become this kind of people? We look at the generosity of our God first, then we look at our stuff and we say, whatever he's given, I will give. Why would we want to do this? It's because what they're building, they are building the tabernacle. Verse 10, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded the tabernacle. Everyone, with all this stuff we've got, with all these skilled workers, let's make a place where God might dwell, we might meet him. Where he would come, he'd lead us in the ways that he wants us to go. That we would be a place where we're shaped into a people of God for eternal purposes. Where the grace and the love and the mercy of God would meet us in a way that would so overflow through us in the lives of others. I love asking for money. I love it. Because this is not about a building. This is about people and lives being transformed and churches being planted and all of eternity being changed. I love it. What, what better thing to spend your money on than taking his resources and using them for his purposes to make a place and a people where people could meet the living God and have their whole lives transformed? They hadn't seen the building yet, and then this tidal wave of grace comes, right? Like they're like so much more than is needed is provided. They have to restrain them from giving more because they realize they're a part of an eternal work together. They're being a people of God. They're building the place of God to be this overflowing blessing to the place around them and the people around them. They hadn't even seen the building yet. 
They didn't know if it'd be this one. Maybe it won't be this one. See, their agent has just told us uh, you needed more cash up front and a letter in hand months ago that said, yes, we can pay for this. So the agent said, we think we're going to go with this other offer that was all cash up front with a, clo a quicker close date. And we say, oh, man, God, we kind of thought that was it. And God says, well, maybe it still is it. Maybe that's the God piece of the story of this contract where 40% of commercial contracts don't come to fruition. It uh, doesn't come through, and that gives you that extra month to hit May 23rd when commitments come in and this lump sum of cash comes in that you can walk towards these people with a letter and with cash that says, we would like that building, please. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's this one. Just right up the road. I don't know. Maybe it's that one. I've talked with them a couple times. They said it, they said that verbatim, it would be amazing if someone owned this building and kept it up for us. Maybe it's this one. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's this one. Here's what I know. We haven't seen the building, but we know what it'll be used for. It's going to be a place where people meet the living God and have their lives transformed, where we meet the living God and have our lives transformed, where church after church after church is planted for generations to come. And what I know is God is not out to shortchange us. I was dating this gal in college, and she was awesome. I mean, she was awesome. She was so kind. She was generous. She, she loved Jesus. She was hot, and uh, it's getting awkward for my wife right now. It was my wife. I was dating her in college and we broke up. And I was crushed. <laughs> and, and I was like, I saw Courtney go, right? Like, and, uh, and I'll never forget, my youth pastor came to me and he said to me in college, he goes, God's not out to shortchange you. God's not out to shortchange you. He's not going to say, hey, this would be amazing, but now I've got this really terrible situation over here. Hey, uh, this building would be awesome over here to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate and declare the gospel for generations to come. But actually, we've got this terrible idea and situation over here uh, because God cares about Silver Spring and the surrounding area way more than we do. Way more than we do. This is why, Courtney and I, as we mark our calendars along with you for the 23rd, that's next Sunday, as we pray and seek the Lord. As we hear what he's calling us to give, and then we say yes to that and give in a one-time kind of way on the 23rd, our most generous and sacrificial gift, and then uh, through the year, June to June, on top of and above and over our normal giving, as we make that commitment, here's what we're considering. We're considering on the 23rd to give $10,000. And then to budget in an extra $10,000 over our normal giving from June to June on top of that ten. That would radically change our lives for this coming year. We would have to readjust different things in our lives to do that kind of thing. Why would you, why would we do something like that? It was because a few years back, there was this one gal who was at NIH, and she's just lost, running headlong away from God, destroying her life. And three folks in the well decided to take their 3D, their Bible study, into NIH and invited her 
And she met the Lord there and had her life transformed radically. And, and then uh, we met her and, and she was plugged into the church. And, and then she met uh, another Christian guy at the church and they got married. Now they're raising their first little baby to, to know and love and serve Jesus. And you just step back and you say, man, God, you're changing lives. You are changing lives. Well, this defense contractor who moved into the neighborhood and started going to a different community group and then over time read the book of Mark and, and handed his whole life to Jesus and, and what was uh, falling apart, uh, the gospel met and transformed. And his daughter came to know Christ, his son is coming to know Christ, and, and God is radically transforming their family. And we just stand back and say, praise you, God, you're changing lives. Or when a, a community group th serves a Thanksgiving meal repetitiously at a Title I school, and then the principal's uh, husband comes to know Christ, and the guidance counselor hears the gospel after her house burns down and our church rallies around her to care for her, and you just say, praise God. Praise God. When two scientists come to know Christ and now are raising their kids to know Christ, you just say, praise God. Lives are being transformed and churches are being planted. And we say, God, you've given everything for your eternal purposes. We give it to you for your use. He compels us by his grace. His son, the rich one who is in heaven, had it all. Chose to give it all up for you and for me. And in his riches, he became poor, and out of his poverty, we became rich. He looked at you and me and our selfish hearts and our selfish lives and our self-directed hearts and our self-directed lives, and he gave it all for us. He chased us down. He rescued us. He gave us salvation. Then he kept pouring on the blessings on top of it. Even in our obstinance. <laughs> And he broke his body and he spilled his blood. And he rose to newness of life to make you and me, his son and his daughter, to give us all things. So we look at him and we look at the things we've been given and we say, it's all yours, it's from you, it's for you, for your eternal purposes. And we declare to him, we want to be a people in a place where, where we've met the living and the mighty, the merciful God and others come to know him here too. So if you're trusting in Christ this morning in the mighty provision he's poured out for you, would you take the reminder of his body broken and his blood spilled, and would you take them this morning in remembrance of all he's given to you? And would it transform us in the kind of people who live with eternal generosity because of our eternally generous God?